Reef Therapy by Reef Builders is brought to you by ICP Analysis. What's in your water? All right. What's going on, Mark? I'm over here just shaking off the seawater from my hands, doing some last minute touching it, touching up to the tanks. How about you? Ah, man. You know, normally when you set up a, a new tank, it's exciting. It's fun. It's a journey, right? There's a little bit of cussing when you're doing the plumbing, always. Um, but this second tank I set up, even though it's, I think total tank volume is 75 gallons mm -hmm. compared to like a 180. Um, and then the other funny part is, you know, it's a water box, right? So it has all the plumbing and the sump. It's, it's an all in one, right? It's made me more frustrated than my tank upstairs where I had to do all my own plumbing with PVC. Uh, I had, you know, choose and research and buy a sump and figure out where I was going to put everything. And, um, and uh, let me preface that, uh, you know, each moment where I contacted Waterbox for support, they're super nice and super awesome and super helpful. Um, like the first obstacle I ran into, uh, do you want me to get into this real quick? Yeah. Uh, I, I just wanted to say like, I can't imagine calling customer support for like a tank and stand. That just seems that just seems weird, right? Like put build a stand, put the tank on it, fill it with water. I yeah. can imagine calling customer support for a lot of other things, but yeah, yeah and man, I by, mean, by all I've, means. I shit. have DIY plumbed a lot of reef tanks, right? So it's not like I'm what is this something or anything no, like that. If, if you're having certain experiences, for sure there's gonna be lots of listeners um who who have come across that same challenge. So tell us about it. Well, so Backstory is I wanted, uh, I, I think everybody heard I, I had to move the tank to the basement. Upstairs became the area became kind of a playroom. Kids got a little older, didn't need the playroom. So I moved the tank back upstairs to the main floor. You know, COVID happened. We're all, a lot of us are working from home, including me. I was like, man, I kind of miss having a tank in the basement. So I thought, well, I'll set up a smaller one. And I really wanted something shallow. I really like shallow tanks as of late. And I would have gone through my local fish store and done another planet tank, but it just didn't make logical sense because the dimensions I wanted, there's a, like water box made the tank already, right? Like for me, the only thing I didn't like was that ultra clear glass, which I've, you know, harped on quite a bit because I'm a klutz with my magnets and stuff. So I scratched the crap out of those ultra class, you know, soft glass things. Anyway, Bo that bougie glass, that bougie. Yeah. Anyway, uh, first things first, like the return plumbing, uh, I, I had a red sea tank at one point and, you know, they've got kind of an interesting solution to plumbing that's, you know, cause they don't want people dealing with bulkheads and all that. Um, the water box, you've got the standpipe, then you got a piece that goes through the hole and then you got another piece. And so there's a total of four, four O-rings, right? <laughs> Which I thought was kind of wacky. But the part in the middle that connects the two pipes, like I couldn't get the, um, the, the, the sump plumbing attached to the bottom of it. So they were super nice and they overnighted me a new part, right? Like they didn't have to overnight it. So, cause you know, it was Saturday and I'm ready to set up this tank and now I can't cause I can't plumb the return plumbing. Uh, so I had to wait till Monday. No biggie. Um, the other thing is that the doors go all the way down to the bottom of the stand. So the only thing keeping the doors from touching your floor are those tiny little leveling feet. And my, here in the basement, I have carpeting. Upstairs, I have, you know, hardwoods. But 
Uh, so once you added water weight to the tank and the tank sinks into the carpet pad, I couldn't open and close the doors. And I'm like, how did I not key into that when I was researching this tank? Like, why didn't I read, I, I do a lot of research. I read like every review. I go on the forums and nobody mentioned this. And I was like, what the hell? So then I had to go to Home Depot, buy a piece of plywood, paint that white to make it look nice let that dry, and then I put that under the tank so that those little leveling feet are sitting on that. Um, and it looks okay, but now, you know, now that vision you had in your head has has been um, tainted a bit. You know, now you got plywood and, sh- and you know, it's just not, w- not what I was going for. So I was a little bummed out about that. Um, so, yeah, that those kind of ups and downs were kind of frustrating. So then the where I thought I would save some money is uh, to re- reuse my old AI Hydra 52s that I just have sitting in a basement box. But as you know, the lenses, the UV melts out and browns out. So I ordered some new UV lenses from AI. You know, I watched a YouTube video to swap them out. Quick question. You, you change out just the lens over the UV or is it a cluster? You change the whole thing? Yeah, just that circular okay, cluster. Okay, so you have to change yeah. the whole cluster. Yeah, and so I ordered a bunch of those, and um, but I mean, I was like surgical with this thing. I was gentle, right? I'm scared of electronics, like when you get into the wiring and stuff. And for some reason, after I did all that, now uh, some of my whites don't work anymore. And I took it apart, and I looked at soldering and made sure I didn't break any solder um, joints or anything. And it all looks perfectly fine. But so now my tank is really blue on one side and really white on the other side. And they're, you know, they're um, parent-child synced, right? So it looks like crap. And I'm like, damn it, now I got to think about replacing the lights that I thought I, you know, and lights aren't cheap. So I was really like, oh man, I can repurpose those old lights because I'm just going to keep some LPS, right? I don't need. So I have an old Hydra 26. So now I think I'm going to Maybe find a used Hydra 26 and then just, because that's all, I only, I don't need the 52s on an LPS tank, right? Um, and I think that might be cheaper than buying, like I'd love to put Kessels on it or or something else, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm already in deep with the tank and stuff and lights are expensive. So anyway, so it's a little frustrating that every step I'm just getting screwed over. And then I've never had a filter roller. So I put one of those on and I, um, I just realized I put the roll on wrong, sort of like the toilet paper uh, thing. Like what's the right way? You know, I did it like a toilet paper roll, but it's supposed to go the other way, like roll to the outside. And so the damn alarm keeps going off because I think there's too much tension on the roll. So I'm an idiot, but anyway, uh, (laughs) But so I'm over this, here just smiling because this is like, this is why we both started Reef Therapy, literally to talk out our highs and our lows. And, you know, what you're sharing just crystallizes part of the experience of doing a reef tank. Yeah. You know, especially setting up a new tank. It's, you know, I mean, it takes a long time before you have enough experience. Um, I'm not saying you don't, but as far as like setting lots of tanks before, you know, you put something together that like really matches or exceeds your vision. You know, if you set up a, yeah, a tank every few years, you forget to, to think about little things like putting the stand on the carpet and having doors that extend all the way to the bottom. Yeah. And like I said, they were, when I called them, you know, another thing was 
the stand in the photos has a dry side, like a divider. Mm-hmm. And the stand I got did not. And that was a big um, reason why I went for that side, the 48 inch over the 36 inches. It's like, oh, I love having a dry compartment for all my outlets and stuff. Um, Just and, as an aside, um, people always ask me, oh, what's the best tank? What's the best tank? I'm like, man, the glass box is pretty much the same. What varies a lot more is the stand features. Yeah. Like you're talking about the dry side. Uh, usually put a chiller and all your electronics and power supplies over there. Maybe you're dosing, just keep everything isolated from there. And, you know, one thing I loved about my uh, six-foot uh, peninsula from water boxes, I had doors on both sides, you know? So oh, I just, yeah. You know, I really love that. But you're you're totally right. I just love the part where you're like, you picked this setup because of the stand and then you got it and it w- didn't have the features that you earmarked for yourself. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I messaged them. I'm like, do I have the right stand? They're like, yeah, we made a design change. And I could harp on them like and say, hey, dude, update your pictures then, you know, but uh, it's not a big deal. You know, it's there's bigger problems in the world. Uh, you know, these are first world problems, but sure, it's just the honeymoon order, phase, right, of your tank is kind of mm-hmm. diminished. It's like, ah, yeah. okay. No, you're absolutely right. There are some manufacturers that make small design changes that they think no one will notice. Or, you know, if, if you ordered a black car and you ended up with a red car or a white car, that's not what you purchased. This is one of those reasons, like, I really get annoyed with improper coral names, common or Latin names. I'm just like, what other field? Like, you can't go around selling zucchini as bananas. Right. You know, you can't sell tomatoes online and then send ship somebody strawberries. But it's for a some slippery reason, you slope, could, right? You like, can absolutely do that in the aquarium hobby. So it's like, yeah, this is a first world problem. We don't want to make a stink and be a Karen about it. But also, you were really looking forward to that dry side. <laughs> well, I had it in my Red Sea and. Uh, so in my brain, I was like, I'm going to completely replicate the wiring I did in my Red Sea, you know, and I had my doser in there. And, and so I was like, oh, that's nice. I don't have to think hard about where I'm going to put everything. Um, you know, the, the, the silver lining is if I ever want to change out the sump, right? Now I have all the room in the world, right? I could put mm-hmm. a, I could put a, you know, a 40 inch sump down there if I wanted to, but, um, but it's just those, those little gotchas along the way just frustrated the hell out of me, leveling the thing, all that. So, you know, finally now I have the tank up and running. Uh, and then the lights, you know, I, I screw myself on the lights. And so I was like, man, come on, you know, like I need something to go right here. Um, I set up a little uh, three-gallon tank because I needed to set something up while I was waiting You're for that part. You're over there just like reefing your life away. <laughs> yeah, I just, last weekend I was like, oh, okay, we'll ship you to new part. I'm like, well, what am I going to do this weekend? I had an earmark to set up a tank, so I set up a Pico and I pulled out, remember the old Innovative Marine um, Sky lights? Oh my Lord. So I had yes. one of oh, their yes. strips, but it's um, it's all white LEDs, right? So that's my other project is I'm going to solder in some blues. To mm-hmm. give it a little nicer spectrum because this was an old algae light I used, you know, so mm-hmm. I didn't care about the spectrum. But so, yeah, I've been tinkering away. Nothing, no, no reef builder studio level, but you know, I've been, <laughs> I've been, I've been goofing around. So, how did about we, you? Did we talk about the tank move yet? Tank move. Oh, um, you're uh, the acrylic? Yeah. No, I watched oh, the videos though. Okay. So, I've put out the videos and I've done the articles. So, 
Yeah, so I've, I've been reefing so hard that like last week I literally needed a break. I just needed to breathe and just kind of observe. So Friday, 10 days ago, you know, I agreed to um, inherit, adopt a full reef tank. Uh, it's a really interesting acrylic aquarium. It's uh, 42 inches long, 36 inches wide, front to back, 30 inches tall. Um, it sat on a black acrylic stand, and I heard that the, the tank was 15 years old. Um, and the only reason I even went to look at it is because there was a yellow tank. I was like, that's how far I'll go to get like a, a wild, perfect, flawless yellow tang. So I get there and um, I've just fell in love with the dimensions of the tank. Like it's just such a cool, big box. Yeah. And I knew it'd be a lot of work, but the, you know, I agreed for three reasons. One, getting that yellow tang. Two, um, I really enjoy the dimensions and the 15 year old tank had been taken really well, uh, taken care of really well. So it looked a little closer to like two years old. Uh, I ran a blue line pump, an ASM skimmer, VHO, VHO lights, still VHOs. Um, and just like, you know, just like a normal reef community, some zoanthas, gorgonians, leather corals, a few shrooms. Um, but, uh, so when we're tearing down the tank. I got a good look at a big old regal blue tang that I didn't even know was in there the, that I didn't see it the first time. Um, and just an amazing, amazing, super tame marine beta. He eats flake, yo. Nice. I this saw him a, in the video, by the way. I was like, oh, that's a nice. That's this a is nice a maintenance grab. account, you know, with, uh, uh, well, it was a maintenance account by DL Reef. So shout out to Parker and Danny who helped me um, facilitate that. Um, so it ran an automatic feeder with like the most rock hard ocean nutrition pellets you've ever seen. I saw some spilled on something we were canning around. I was like, what is this clay pellet? What are these things? I didn't even recognize it as food. <laughs> and they were like, oh, yeah, we spilled some food from the automatic feeder. I'm like, what the heck? And so, you know, for those who've uh, kept up with the videos on YouTube on the official Reef Builders channel, um, we moved everything. And everything's going fine. You know, we got air battery operated air pumps. We got corals in one bucket, fish in one bucket, all the corals kind of wrapped in towels so they don't dry out. And we pulled everything out of the cargo truck that I rented for the move and I had to get it back. And uh, so we just moved. It was like, it was a sunny day, but cold. So I set the stand down and we went to just take lunch. And when I came back, it had just like spontaneously cracked, you know, along one side. And so yeah, like, that's nuts. I saw that video and that's it's 15 years of stress plus yeah. being in cold air in the hot sun. So I didn't, I didn't really mind, but what was going to turn into a one day job? Uh, I was like, Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, this tank's not getting set up today. Yeah. Um, I didn't like the stand anyway. So, you know, we ended up doing a part one on the video move, uh, part two on setting up like an emergency kind of saltwater pond to hold all the livestock. I just happened to have a hundred gallon trough. That was just perfect for all the rock corals, fish. Um, did a video on that as well. Cause I feel like there's not, much, you know, if you have that situation and you need to like an emergency setup, there's no online guide on, on yeah. what to do. So through all the rock in there with a bunch of aeration, one power head, just a maxi jet. 
an actual max like new maxi jet and um uh, one of the seachem's smallest skimmers resting on the rocks and just happened to have that kessel ap9x um kind of hanging over it and it was just like perfect it was a beautiful little setup so did the video on the tank move part one a video on setting up the saltwater pond part two a video so when the tank stand broke i called the only guys i knew that you know were really um into like building stands so i called up uh, david wellman over at keeping it reef and i was like uh hey david can we build a stand tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> and just like boom sure enough um just went to the shop and knocked out a really cool new style design um for a plywood uh, stand using you know lots of glue and uh, kind of like finishing nails and uh, just ended up with a much nicer stand and so now the only thing that's holding me back on doing that setup is buffing the the tank because now that you know have this opportunity boom all right let's do a video on how to buff a tank uh, an acrylic tank because there's always big like poorly you know uh, taken care of um acrylic tanks yeah. like practically free if you just pick them up and get them out of somebody's way and um if you know how to buff i mean you're talking about like 50 to 100 to 200 dollar investment depending on the depth of the scratches and next thing you know you got yourself a 100 to 500 gallon acrylic tank just for the work you know it's kind of crazy i've always liked and, um sorry uh i didn't mean to but like the seacam or not seacam uh it was like the System 2 acrylic tanks or something like that, like the built-in wet dries. I always mm. wanted to pick up one of those in a small size as a Q-tank, right? Because it's great. Like you get the wet-dry mm -hmm. oxygenation, but yeah, pick up a scratch one and just buff it out. Oh, I should mention, you know, that in the middle of doing all this, um, a couple weeks from this recording, we're going to have a reef stock for the first time in two years. It's going to be really big. We have lots of great companies. Um, I've been hustling like basically the entire aquarium catalog of raffle prizes name a product we probably have it in our raffle um you know and just answering lots of questions for the vendors and the speakers and just really you on know, lots of coordination in in addition to making sure like the studio looks as great as it can because i'm sure invariably some folks will want to visit and i just always say like we clean up the studio for ourselves it just so happens that we time it for reef stock. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah, right before this recording, I was just looking at my main acro system. And, God, the only problem I'm having is corals getting big and falling over their pedestal, like the weight of an, a table acro just lifting up a four-inch uh, limestone tile. Um and so, like, I've been gluing the tiles down to the bottom of this acrylic, uh, like, a coral table. Um, that's a good problem to have. I've relocated the giant clams to the sump, threw a A360X over them, and it's actually kind of cool because it doesn't obstruct the clams at all. You know, you can look down, and because you're behind the light, the clams can't see you, so they don't close up at all. Oh, and nice. so, I actually have room for a couple more clams in the sump, so I'm thinking about pulling out the big blue squamosa. Out of the Red Sea Peninsula, which is doing beautiful, but like the coral growth in there is starting to uh, obscure the views of the blue squamosa. And you know that blue squamosa is going to look way better top down. Oh yeah, you know when I it's like it's it's like the dream big blue squamosa. So um, I'm going to leave the three big clams of Darasa, Gigas, and Hippopus in the sump for I don't know a few months and make sure everybody's happy with that setup for now. Before I moved to Blue Squammy, that's kind of my baby. Um, he's never been exposed <laughs> to anything else outside of that, uh, the tank he's currently in. And I aquascaped the, uh, the 400 gallon tank. 
Nice. Yeah. I'm always, you know, so I built a platform to go over the ductors emanating from the bottom mounted closed loops. And what was really freaking cool was using a combination of uh, Caribbean life rock, cornerstone branch rock, and Morocco rock. And it, as soon I was so so the left side looks amazing. It looks like a really natural pile because you got some of the lumpiness from the uh, Caribbean life rock, and then you have these thick branches from the cornerstone, and then you have these more detailed branches from the Morocco by Tropic Eden, and it just it looks something about it looks like like spookily natural. Because right? when you're on a reef, like there's parts that are grown by poslopores, there's parts that are grown by table acros, and there's parts that are grown by um, staghorns. You know, so the left side looks awesome. Right side looks a little goofy because I just kind of shelved it out, and because that's going to be all staghorns. So yeah. the, the left side looks cool as a rock pile. The right side looks very goofy because it's going to be all staghorns growing from basically the bottom of the tank to the top of the tank. So it's a 30-inch uh, deep tank. But anyway, I got it going. Uh, I put a 60 breeder in the sump. It's going to be my starter sump. And um, the only thing I'm still trying to like uh, work out right now is the siphon break. Uh, because a lot of manufacturers who are clearly not hobbyists, they drill the return holes like far below the drain holes. What the freak are y'all doing? When yeah. anytime I see that, I just, I get really kind of, you're upset. talking about uh, like where it's a exterior overflow box and then mm -hmm, they drill. Mm -hmm. the, yeah. Yeah. I've noticed that yeah, too. You know, the innovative Marines, they have the same issue. First of all, they, they both had two returns. It's like, you don't need two returns. Just one return. Like stop complicating yeah. stuff. So I blocked every, you know, half of the returns on my innovative Marine ones. And then I used some lock lines and a, a flare flared nozzle to basically bring the outlet of the return um, all the way to the top. And so the gap between kind of just, you know, the return hole and the drain went from two inches, to like half an inch. And um, so, yeah, so I need to figure out a, a way to elegantly um, in, inject a, the, the, a siphon break, you know, just like a little hole or, or something. Um, but yeah, otherwise, like my tank's really quiet. It's full of very purple rock. Um, and it's uh, full of fresh water. <laughs> I'm just going to give a, I'm just going to let it rinse. I'm not planning on doing much more in the next, I don't know, month or two, at least until after Reefstock got building a nice light bar using the electrical conduit that I like to do and painting that white. Um, but I'm definitely going to work on building up uh, one side of the tank at a time. Nice. Right. Because I, you know, I'm probably, I, what I'd like to do is put 12 XR15s because I'll be able to spread them out and angle them and position them where I want a lot more than just six XR30s. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's going to be a little while. But I did figure out a system that I'm going to use for transferring corals where they are to that tank because I don't want to ever introduce like anything, anything, anything. Never Naptasia, never Valonia, never any, even any hair algaes, you know, like cyanode, diatoms, uh, dinos, that's kind of inevitable. That stuff is in the air. But if you never introduce hair algae, you never introduce Valonia, it's going to be a lot of work up front. Yeah. But I think down the road, it'll be, it'll be freaking amazing. Like imagine it's impossible 
for there to be Valonia. Like it can't magically appear, <laughs> you know. If it's well, not a and in a tank that size, dealing with a pest is such a different ball game than mm. you know because even, it'll explode first before yeah. your tank kind of um, evens out. So my plan is. I've got the 60 cube um, with a nice little external overflow box. That was my tank at uh, my old house before the studio. So a lot of corals actually emanated from there. So I'm going to plumb it in line with the system going through like, I think it's a hundred watt UV. Somehow I ended up with two hundred watt, you know, aqua UVs. Like they're like three feet long. So <sighs> I'm going to plumb all the water feeding that tank through the UV. So like anything trying to get into that tank will be irradiated. Then every acro that I'm going to put in there is going to get dipped. Then it's going to be put in there on maybe like new bases. And, uh, you know, I'll observe them for a, a couple of weeks and just with the mesoscope, like get really freaking close and make sure there's no buggers and, you know, go through a, a series of dips and then they'll get planted on the rock. So no bases. And that's like... Oh, that's like an annoying challenge because a lot of these corals have encrusted. And so I'm going to have to pry them off their base and just, you know, really disrupt them. But I really feel strongly that down the road, it's just going to be super awesome. It's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be very tedious. Um, but yeah, that's one of my biggest challenges right now is just having too many corals that they're, I mean, certain colonies when they get big, um, like digitata and different monoporas and acropora, not so much acros. They have a strong skeleton. They just rain. The skeleton just, they just break off and they just rain over here and they fall down over there. And I, I find little bits of corals <laughs> every freaking way. And I'll tell you what, man, I, if I had, if I had access to the back of this tank and, you know, it actually arrived with a closed loop and it's got the PVC bottom. Um, if I had to do it over again, I would put the closed loop on the back and then I would, I would love to use uh, two little fishies reborn as a substrate. Cause that was one thing I did in a tank at Aquamart, like, yeah, 10, 12 I remember years ago. that tank actually. And it had so much flow and we didn't ever have to d touch the substrate cause it was just like, uh, just a field of coralline just it locked everything together but every time a tip of anything fell into that that coarse um uh, aragonite media you know the coral bones it just grew because it wasn't tumbling around and so it just like uh, encrusted onto two or three pieces and then just turned into a little coral on the bottom it was like it was really amazing but because the intake is on the bottom um i'm not going to do that for this tank yeah, I I have a large, I, they don't make the old school, or I can't find the old school Reborn anymore, but I have um, a large um, sized substrate, right? Uh, I have some of the new Reborn on, on, on my 180 as a substrate and then some other kind of crushed corally size. And I think it gets a bad rap because um, when your sand bed is literally just a substrate similar to a rock skate, your tangs graze the hell out of it. And so, you know, all these people dealing with cyano on their sugar-sized sand or dinos or, I mean, dinos also, you know, play your rocks and stuff, but just like that unattractive sand bed, it's like when your bottom is just more little rocks, your- Extension of the rocks. Yeah, your bristle-tooth tangs graze the hell out of it. So I always have a decent-looking substrate. Mm -hmm. Um and then everybody's, you know, dosing nitrates. So it's like, oh, you know, I dose nitrates, but don't put crushed coral in your tank. Everybody's dosing nitrate. Well, a everybody's lot of- Everybody's dosing nitrate let me, now. Let me just say, I see it pop up everywhere on every YouTube channel, every forum. 
And it's funny because like I can imagine somebody being like, yeah, I dose a little nitrates, but you know, you shouldn't put crushed coral in a reef tank because it causes nitrates, right? <laughs> like it's like, it's sort of funny like that. Like if you I know I what don't... you're doing and you know how to yeah. balance that out. Yes, you won't ever have to dose nitrates because your pet sand bed is expelling all types of CO2, making yeah. sure to keep that pH nice and low for you and, you know, slowly releasing all the nutrients that it's absorbed over the months or years. And it's super easy to gravel vac like a quarter inch layer of crushed coral. It's mm. it's not hard. Anyway, um, but yeah, it's funny you brought up the live rock. I have, you know, in in the in the um, theme of doing crap I've never done, right? Like I, I was very anti-filter sock, but I used to be more, ooh, I want to try that new methodolo- methodology, right? And I kind of got into a cranky pants, like I'm just going to stick with what works for me, but... One, it's fun to try out this filter roll, right? But the other thing I never did was I never used branch rock. I just never did. And so, yeah, I did branch rock in this tank and it's fun, man. That stuff just locks into place like um, like a kid's toy builder set or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, c- I, I, I would like to interject for a moment that I see a lot of great looking uh, rock aquascapes that I hate. <laughs> I hate people making their rocks look good because that is that the you know the the star of the show should be the coral. Yeah. Right? So when your rock is like so crazy and dynamic, like people are not really thinking where they're gonna put the coral, where they're gonna put the coral. And you know, so that's why my rockscape and my cade aquarium looked so dumb. It's just a straight flat shelf from top to bottom. Now it looks amazing, just covered with LPS, literally, you know, resting uh vertically. And then so same thing. I was just thinking about those different zones where I'm gonna put different corals on. Dude, there ain't gonna be one limited edition coral in there. I mean, it's just gonna be big, beautiful, uh, fundamental, um, you know, corals that grow well. Well, it's funny <laughs> when you were describing your two rockscapes in your larger, you know, your 400 gallon and how one's kind of hokey, but it's with an intention mm-hmm. of what's best for the corals that you're going to put there. And it's similar. Like I, there was this temptation to get all artsy with the, the branchy stuff. But then I realized like, ah, what am I going to be putting on this stuff? And then I, if I take a picture of the tank, it looks really boring in a photograph, right? Whereas it should. If, if you it walk should. up to it, you can kind of see the method of the madness and say, oh, mm-hmm. okay, I can see how you're planning to have these different layers of corals. Um, anyway, yeah, so it's 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 that we talked about in the past, right? Like all this NSA stuff and it looks cool, but if you're doing a fish only with live rock, well, then it still sucks because your fish have nowhere to hide. But um <laughs> In the end, you know, think about what you're trying to grow, right? And how, how it's all going to come together. It's, you know, it's that instant gratification factor. Yeah, it's something to look at while you wait for the, the you know, two millimeter frags you get these days to grow in. Granted, I have 12 other reef tanks to look at and I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be happy with the 400 and probably till like end of summer. Yeah, You know, like it's going to take a while to process the corals that I have, make sure they're as clean as possible and start populating all eight feet of the tank. Um, but 
like I, oh my god when i get these corals out of where they are right now you know i got all these staghorns that just want to grow straight up so i had to do that actual grafting experiment the other um you know last year um now they hit the surface i've stopped i've stopped caring because i'm like yeah form your little micro toll go ahead and die off and get your little pillow of cyano on top I, it'll just be so easy to snap off that tip and just get it growing again i'm not even <laughs> i mean when you when you get corals really dialed in you don't worry so much about saving every scrap and every millimeter you yeah. know like it's, it's just like tending to a garden uh you have to do some grooming to stimulate the kind of growth and shapes that you want yeah i agree i mean i you know me i throw corals into my backyard and they become lawn art or you know little sculptures in my mulch bed because well i mean it's the same like trimming up a tree or you know that's the way i look at it sometimes is as long as i'm still growing a piece of it you know i I didn't kill any i didn't necessarily that's fine i found a giant colony of uh red echinophilia it's like 15 inches across on a rock with another chalice I don't remember and then on the top of it was just like a full colony of fox flame um the only reason I didn't I think Tommy Tropical Pet Oasis is going to bring it over if he hasn't sold it already uh wouldn't blame me if he did but it was too big to like put in anything in a bucket <laughs> and like you'd have to bring over a bin and I you know I didn't have a bin with me to put it in um but uh but yeah no worries I found I found a colony of fox flame and uh hopefully I'll be able to add that to the mix yeah, you so, would love how I've uh, uh, kind of mentally scaped out the 400 because it's just like one of those um, ID guides to Acropora shapes. I'm oh, like, okay, nice. We're, we're going to put the staghorns over here, and then we're going to put the bottle brush staghorns over here, and then the table corals are going to be kind of in the middle. We're going to put all the digitate ones at the very, very top, and in front of them is going to be, you know, the corimbose corals, and then uh, mostly on the ground, you know, in front of that mound, it's going to be, you know, kind of wild card. And the thing is, the tank will be so bright and so much flow. Like, th- there's no way that deep water acros could live in there. I say that, but I did have some suharsenoi in the the tank at Aquamart from ten years ago. That the one we talked about with the substrate. Um, it was very pale. <laughs> it was very pale, but surprisingly, it actually grew pretty well. That you did an old, I want to say it was on Reef Builders, an old video of that tank long ago, right? Oh yeah, there's yeah. a few videos of them, but I don't. I, you I, know what's funny? I remember. Uh, after that tank had been around like four five six years i still remember like the last time i filmed it while i was filming it i was like this is goodbye hmm. well, it, it was a store tank you know i was only um hired to just take care of that tank and you know i could, I could just feel you know the end of that uh experience uh, gotcha. coming to yeah. an end um but but yeah so it'll, it'll be very interesting to uh, set up an acro tank that's only suitable for like for half of the species that i keep <laughs> i was really tempted to do an acro tank in the basement but i'm just on a i'm just on a lps kick and not the lps that everyone's going nuts over because hammer corals really mess up my uh i get a reaction from them so mm. that's kind of nice it, it means i stay away from all those overpriced torches but um <laughs> I, yeah and i mean before we get into like the main topic i wasn't trying to harp on water box i mean when you buy something online without getting your hands on it in a store right these things happen and and they've been really anytime i pose them a question on their little chat they were super helpful and super nice so i wasn't trying to talk smack it was just you know those little gotchas kind of built up over a week where you're here's here's an important gotcha say someone is uh you know has something labeled as um god what was i gonna go with goniopora nice red goniopora frag 
and you get it. And maybe you grow it out for six months to a year and it never develops the long tentacles that you were hoping for. And then later on, you discover it's actually Bernard Pora, short tentacle Ghani, very different behavior, you know, not nearly the flowiness of a full on Ghani. You know, you could put like, if you, if you, even if you're like moderately experienced, you could put a year of, of growth and conditioning and nurturing into Bernard Pora that's never really going to have shape and never going to really throw tentacles super high like a typical Ghani, but it was labeled as a Ghani. Right. So it seems like nitpicking, but like when you have a vision or a very specific expectation, um, you know, you might, it's just not cool. <laughs> it's yeah. just not cool at all. I, you know, I made peace because, um, it's an, if I had ordered it from Planet, it would have been a non standard tank, right? Either yeah. I compromise on what's, because I really liked that exact dimension. Um, and I could have compromised and picked a different tank, but um, it probably would have cost me more, you know, to do it that way. Because, I mean, anytime you come into a tank company like Planet and say, I have custom requirements, right? It's like, okay, it's going to take two months. And it's, it's like, uh, let's pull out the calendar, flip a few pages. Yeah. And here's the expected date. And then you might add a couple more pages. And by pages, I mean months to the actual, you know, arrival date. And yeah, my, just, my 180, which was a, a standard rimless size they made, but I just wanted the overflow box in a different position and shorter. You know, it took two months, not the end of the world, but I mean, two months you're going to be here and I'll be like, oh, I don't have that tank. You know, I'd rather have, <laughs> I wanted some instant gratification, right? So, yeah. No, anyway. I think you're going to really like, did you get the Clarice Gen 3? Yes. With the rollers everywhere? Yes. Okay, so that is a new improvement, and I have one like half set up, not actually running, and I know that that is where it likes to lock up, or it used to like to lock up, and that's why they put those those rollers in there. You're lucky you didn't have to build it before; it was just like a flat. I mean, it came in a box, but everything was just disassembled, and it was like yeah. But their instructions had like thumbnail size pictures, like it mm -hmm. should look like this. I'm like. Where's my magnifying glass, right? Uh, so I <laughs> no, ended I up you're pulling up like it. a YouTube video on how to do it, but yeah. You're going to love it. It's going to be, should be a lot quieter, you know, for the drain um, with oh, you, yeah. whether or not you have a continuous siphon drain, it helps to quiet everything down. And you're not really going to appreciate it until like four to six months down the road. You said a 75. So you're, you, at your flow rate, man, it, you should change that filter all twice a year. When you go twice a year and you're like, holy crap, man, like, you know, let's say, you know, Mac time, you're like, oh, it's time to change that filter roll. Or it just finally starts beeping at you because it's like it, the roll's empty. And then you realize how much less detritus is in your tank and just how much cleaner your equipment is. You know, I'm not a stickler for mechanical filtration at all. I know that a lot of the particulates and the waste and the detritus just, will just kind of coagulate and like fall out of solution in some place where you can kind of get it. So I'm not worried about like having that crystal clear water. I just want to keep all that scum out of my protein skimmer, out of my return pump, just, you know, keeping them quiet, keeping them performing as needed and reducing or increasing the interval um, as far as doing the maintenance on it. So I think you're really in love it, especially for an LPS tank that's 75 gallons here. You should, you'll have a long time between filter rolls. Yeah. I'm hoping, you know, cause I, I, I did my about face about coral feeding a bit, you know, in our last talk or maybe the one before that. And I, I, the goal of this tank being shallow, part of it was I want to do that top down kind of fun. 
But um, the stars of the show are corals that I just want to put on a sand bed, you know, some flower pots, some trackies, some cinerinas, and I want to feed them, right? But I don't want to have to go up to my armpit to feed them. Well, we're and so about, leftover food getting skimmed out by this thing and I don't have to worry about it. But, mm-hmm. you know, still I can probably keep it somewhat nutrient rich. So I'm, int- I'm intrigued and the, the, the downers, if I really like it, then I got to then I'm it's probably going to commit myself to redoing my big tank. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's a neat piece of kit. And I, I, everybody listening is like, yeah, you know, welcome to 2015. <laughs> but um, <laughs> no, I'm, I know that at the end of it, you're going to have your own, uh, you know, kind of unique flavor. There'll be a combination of old school and new school. And it's going to be a great looking display. I'm sure oh, of it. I'll tell you what else I liked about it is that the elbow on it, it accepts the one inch uh, US pipe, but it yes. has a, a smaller, like if you keep pushing the pipe in, it supports the DN25 piping that comes on mm-hmm. Red Sea tanks and um, water box tanks. And I was like, this is great, you know, because I had some leftover. I mean, that's after five years of having a first and second generation out and not having that feature, right? Yeah. So I, did, I did notice that too, that they had the two standard sizes in the elbow. I'm like, that's awesome, you know, yeah. five years later. Yeah. <laughs> But speaking of corals that go on the sandbed, this is a special request to our viewers and our listeners. I was looking at my UNS tank that has the fox coral, and I uh, swapped out the bubble for uh, just crazy awesome elegance coral, not color-wise, just health and, and vitality. And I've got the Lobactus guteri in there, just a little purple um, fungio with green tentacles. And I was looking at it, I was like, oh, man, you know what would be really, really good for this tank? A slipper coral. So I went online. Oh, yeah. I couldn't find any. Nah, really? I couldn't find any. Yeah, really. Yeah, really. Tidal Gardens, you know, culture some. And it's like, all right, whatever, 200 bucks a frag. Okay. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like I get, a, you know, three slipper corals shipped in a box direct from Indo for, for less than that. I mean, no offense. I'm, I'm sure they're great looking specimens. Um, but yeah, so I am on the lookout for some slipper coral. I don't care the color. And Hello Mitra, which I know you grew forever and it just grew too big for you because you didn't frag it. But yeah, two corals. And that's coral a feed me Seymour coral, man. Two corals I really want are Hello Mitra, Polyphilia. Hit me up, jake at reefbuilders.com if you have one or know where there's some just sitting around. Um, because yeah, there's, I mean, I love the, the fungi group and my, my list of corals that I want but don't have, you know, species wise. Is, is smaller every year, but that's a couple that I have yet been able to add to my collection. Oh, yeah, and if there's any orange tongue sitting out there, just uh, let me know about those two. <laughs> I still have my orange tongue, and then I got the green, I don't know which genus, but it's a, you know, slipper-esque coral. Because uh, I want Lots of little tentacles with, like, little bright tip at the end? Or is it just green? It's, like, just this weird, just monotone green. Yeah, it's probably uh, green herpalotha. Yeah. And then yeah. the orange guy, you know, so, so the only difference I notice um, when I do a list of feeding responses on the orange guy, I have lots of little mouths, uh, whereas the green one is just like one mouth, but he's just very elongate. So oh. well, I'll see him in a couple months when we're out there yeah. for Aquatic Expo. You can school me and tell me what I got. Oh, <laughs> you don't need that much going. Nah. All right. Well, that was awesome. Like just kind of brief conversation, but we need to... Be responsible content creators and talk about aquarium. It's not aquarium regulation. It's marine life regulation. Yes. 
And I would preface this part of our session by saying that I entered the hobby 94, 95, and it was just like a few months on the heels of wild Caribbean rock harvesting being banned. And I remember clear as day, just scrubbing some oceanic 60 cubes and, you know, the owner of the store telling me, oh, hobby's going to get shut down in two years. So I've always kind of entered the hobby uh, with this shadow, you know, I've always been the shadow. Oh, they're going to shut us down. They're going to shut us down. I'm like, what are we doing that's so wrong? Providing just truly sustainable income to impoverished third world nation communities that actually live on the reef. And we're adding value to the reef. Why would they shut us down? Um, and there's just always been this, um, I don't know, just this fear, this absolute fear about things being shut down. You know, I don't remember exactly which year it was, but uh, yeah, part of it is the live rock thing. Uh, the no, li- oh. th- that was br- straight, straight mid nineties. I don't know yeah, exactly was, which uh, date. I can tell you, but I don't know when I bought societies. Yeah. No, no, no. I was going to say 95 is when I set up my first legit reef tank and it was with wild live rock from Florida. And it was like one of the last shipments. Like the guy was going out on this boat and he was like, oh, this is mm-hmm. the end, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't remember. I, I wasn't aware when CITES was supplied to stony corals, but you mm. know, we're all aware of the threat on an ecological level facing coral reefs and coral reefs are built by stony corals this is why names matter because we're only talking about stony corals right now right and so all stony corals are cites regulated and i don't know that they need to be you know last year there's a paper came out estimating that there was half a trillion corals in the ocean just let those zeros sink in half a trillion not million, not billion, trilly. And that was reef building corals. I don't think they were even counting like deep water corals, you know? <laughs> and for sure, like in some instances, like the corals are suffering, but it's not individual corals, you know? And they're lumping all acros and montes uh, in their own genus, um, but not individual species. And so it's like, you're talking about tens of millions of colonies of aquapore loconi in the wild. You know, we're not targeting those. They're a little deeper water. They're really spread out. It, you, you, you'd have to do some serious work to do a dent even on like a local scale. So CITES is the Convention for the International Trade Endangered Species. And any species that gets CITES listed um, has to have a CITES permit uh, issued by the exporting country. And this, is, this covers, as far as aquariums are concerned, um, all stony corals, soft corals that have a, a rock on the base, um, giant clams, uh, seahorses, I think maybe they're society's appendix too. So maybe they don't need a permit, but they're definitely like, you know, being watched Clarin angelfish, like a, just a single species, which is weird. It's just so weird. Cause we don't even harvest them. No one fishes them. You know, we don't collect them. All the cl- clarions in the hobby these days are being bred in Bali, on the, literally the opposite side of where they n- normally occur. Um, but some other you know, iconic species of freshwater, uh, the zebra placo, uh, you have to have a CITES permit to transport that across international boundaries. And then same thing with the uh, Asian arowana, um, for sure. So 
because there's a lot of paperwork associated with getting our favorite corals, um, I think that just keeps this specter of, of fear, you know, looming over people who operate in the trade. And, oh my goodness, I can't even, there, there's so much stickiness that we, we can't really get into because we want to get to, to the heart of, of it. But also recently, you know, uh, Fiji was shut down, the Nindo was shut down and it's opened back up, but then it's also going to be sunsetted. The whole industry in Indonesia for wild corals is going to be sunsetted in two or three years. I don't remember exactly which year. And then we've had these issues with, uh, you know, Queensland coral export from Australia. And then the EU banned five groups of corals specifically from Australia. So they're okay coming from Indonesia, but not from Australia. And I don't know why there's so much attention being placed on some of these corals, right? Okay. So Australian scoli. All right. Yes. I think there's a really big number of those being collected, but like Duncan's and Elegance corals that are super hardy and grow real fast. Like why, you know, there's not data to support. Oh yeah. I forgot about the Hawaii shutdown. And, um, so yeah, there is a lot of threats to the hobby, but it's not like, it's not like one gate's going to come down. Right. It's going to be death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. And to be honest, I mean, we're not really seeing it yet. Like hobbyists don't feel it. You know, most of the price increases right now are um, due to freight. Right? The, the, the cost of air freight is just skyrocketed. And, and so like a coral that sells for $2 out of Indonesia, I don't, I'm just using a number, will land with a, a you know a overall price tag between packing, CITES permit cost, inspections, and freight, a two dollar goal now lands for fifteen dollars, right? So at the, the importer, so then that's going to be sold for like thirty dollars at wholesale. So what used to be a really common slipper coral that would sell for like thirty to forty dollars now is wholesaling for forty to fifty dollars, right? So there's a lot of regulations surrounding the hobby. Most of the time, it has nothing to do with aquariums, the whole regulation side of it. Nothing. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the... Um, what's interesting is a lot of the proposed regulations, they don't even factor in the aquarium industry in a proper way, right? Like, they don't factor in that there's a ton of mariculture, a ton of aquaculture. Um, when they wanted to put, you know, things on the endangered species list, they completely were oblivious to the fact that that species was being aquacultured at a grand scale. But now you're impacting somebody in Florida with a farm that's aquaculturing these because they can't sell and distribute or move them across, you know, state lines. And you're like, it doesn't make sense, right? Like the, the, the medicine wasn't, uh, wasn't the right medicine to apply to the illness right so i i you know in a sense personally speaking if i saw over time restrictions on the collections of wild corals whether it's uh, merited or not right whether we actually you know we could argue till the cows come home that we are not the biggest impact to coral reefs as a hobby right there's tons i mean we talked about all the other ways that reefs are just being destroyed uh, by man. Um, but if those restrictions came in with um, stipulations that allowed for mariculture, right? Like that that took in the big picture of like, well, maybe we, I mean, like Indonesia, you brought example, like we don't want you collecting and exporting wild corals, but, you know, mariculture farms, fine. And if mariculture farms need to get broodstock, fine. I, you wouldn't, 
I wouldn't be walking around with a picket sign if that happened. I'll be honest, you know, I'm not going to lie whether the science and the data proves that me getting that us allowing uh, wild collection makes an impact or not. I, I mean, I, I have an icky feeling about it sometimes, right? I just, it, just the general vibe of like plucking something out of the ocean versus like something coming off of a mariculture farm. No, let me stop you right there. I feel very strongly about this. Okay. There's another word. I might have mentioned this before um, on the podcast. When we're growing corals here and reducing the demand for corals from the nature, whether it's wild yeah. or maricultured, you can consider their, that biopiracy because you're disenfranchising the people who are, you know, that's their natural resource. And we're literally adding value to the reef, whether they're farming or wild harvesting. I'm telling you, there's just, there's so much reef out there and we want the small corals. We don't care. We don't, we don't touch the giant breeder colonies. Yeah. You know, we're talking about a fraction of a fraction of a fraction. For some reason, it's, it's totally fine to just wholesale extract, you know, thousands of metric tons of seafood of one species. No, I in agree. In one yeah. ocean. And I know that, you know, the Western perception of, en of environmentalism and conservation is don't touch that. But how are you going to say that when we've already wrecked all of our reefs, when we've already plowed all of our, you know, our wildlands, not all of them, but you know what I'm saying. And then we go over to developing nations and be like, oh, no, no, all that stuff that we've done over the last 200 years that we don't do anymore because it's all dead anyway. Um, you shouldn't do that. Don't step on the grass. And by grass, I mean actual corals in the shallows. You know, so there's, a, there's definitely like this colonialist perception on telling developing nations or, you know, reef communities, reef nations um, what to do with their natural resources. Coral farming your coral harvesting is not the problem, right? Coastal development destroys the habitat. We're not destroying habitats. Yeah. You know, people like to use examples of cyanide and dynamite fishing. That's not our fish. Okay. Cyanide some of the cyanide but it's mostly caught for food. You know, that's not us. We want good, healthy, small specimens. We don't want large breeder specimens, which is exactly what sport fishers do. But like sport fishers, they get their quotas. They get sizable quotas. There's nothing about you know sport fishing. Um, it's a very expensive sport, is or pastime. And you know those kind of people know the right kind of people to make sure that they're not harmed. You know, like for example, how are you going to differentiate between the people who are you know, sport fishing in Hawaii, catching big, you know, top level food chain stuff, big breeders. And then you're going to discriminate against the artisanal, like hand, hand collected fish, the the of the small specimens. Like it doesn't make any sense. The science does not support it. But but in the same sense, right? If you um, use CITES or like the Endangered Species Act, you restrict that organism not just from the hobby, but also from overfishing. You protect the environment that the organism lives in. Right now, you can't cut down the forest that the owl, the endangered owl, lives in. So you take out a lumber industry, but that solution may have a more even-handed, like 
is we're not just targeting the aquarium hobby, but it unfortunately impacts us in a way that the aquaculture and the mariculture gets negatively impacted too, right? We're like, hey, we're breeding the hell out of these clownfish. Like, don't put them on an endangered species list, right? (laughs) So... So there's a perfect example. And I don't want to say it was like 2012, 2015 timeline. Um, I want to say it was the Center for Biological Diversity mm. was suing the U.S. government to list some like 72 species of stony corals that yeah. technically occur in U.S. territorial waters. If you're counting like Guam and like certain areas of the Marianas. They had on there, I remember. But they were were doing the whole like snowy owl thing, right? They didn't care about the corals. None of those people knew what those corals were, right? They were wanting to sue the government to list those endangered species. Then they would have to force the government's hand for climate change, right? You're talking about like transforming the entire economy and way of life by getting a few corals listed on the Endangered Species Act. You're like, come on, man. That was weaponizing um, the legislation. And unfortunately, you know who gets paid? No matter they win or lose, lawyers, man. (laughs) Well, and no offense to any lawyers listening right now. I know we need you guys sometimes. Um, But, you know, just the the, the legal process. I mean, uh, when, when I've put all those pieces together, um, early in my career as a, a, a aquarium journalist, I was like, this is gross. This is not what this tool was designed for. Well, and I think um, hearing a lot of other people talk about this Lacey Act Amendment, that's what they're going at is the the would and the could of the folks behind it and what their real intent is, right? Can you take it from the top and just kind of rewind about two weeks and and just kind of really introduce like the meat and potatoes of what we want to get to. Yeah. And I'm, I'll do my best not to insert the speculation. There's a lot of speculation going on. Um, so there's the America competes act, right. To make Amer- uh, um, legislation that was supposed to be about changes that make America more competitive uh, in the world space is how I interpret it. But um, you know, cause you have China and all these other countries um, kind of stepping in um, in the certain areas. So there was an amendment to the Lacey Act. Um, and the Lacey Act, help me out here. I'm, I'm trying to so the Lacey it. Act the original is, um, Lacey Act, not the amendment, but. So the, I'll, I'll do this part. The yeah. Lacey Act was some legislation to uh, give teeth to enforcement in the protection of endangered species. So, for example, if you're smuggling, I don't know, s- snowy owls or pandas or something, um, the law enforcement, and I'm sure there's someone listening who's just like, oh, that's not quite right. They could seize like everything associated with that process, right? The phone you use to make the calls, the computer you may use to make the arrangements, the boat or the car or the truck or every. I mean, they just really go after everything that was involved in the perceived crime um, and that. So the Lacey Act is, you know, it's the, the the sharp end of the stick, basically. Right. And then under the America Competes Act, there were some amendments added, uh, sponsored by Senator Mark Rubio from Florida and Senator Schatz from Hawaii, right? And the wording, I forget, you know, the seedy underbelly of people that might be pushing for this. Let's just take it at you know, surface level, 
the wording is about uh, making some changes to reduce the importation and also transportation across state lines of species that are considered injurious to like native habitat, uh, to people, uh, to agriculture. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't know everything that's going on behind the scenes, but I can understand that a senator from Florida and a senator from Hawaii would have something to say about uh, invasive species, right? So I, I would um, like to just address the whole injurious word. It's like we kind of know what that means because I know what injury means. Um, but why couldn't they just say harmful? Like I don't understand that. It's like why couldn't you just say harmful? And that's an example of I feel like legalese that might be purposefully inserted to um, alienate and just you know turn people off to reading the document in the first place. I swear that's why that word exists. Yeah, I mean, I was trying to think through, like, maybe the lawyers are afraid that if you use the word, like, harmful, that there might be some wiggle room or, or you know, there, that might, you know, the definition of harmful might offer some, but may, might offer less wiggle room than saying injurious, but, um, but I don't know. Who says injurious in everyday speech? I've never yeah, heard, I don't, nope. <laughs> well, the other thing that was weird to me was... Uh, uh, prohibiting the importation of any species of wild mammals, wild birds, fish, parentheses, including mollusks and crustacea. Ooh, like, okay. Did, did they not my favorite take biology class? <laughs> <laughs> Next thing you know, they'd say dolphins or fish. Um, amphibians or reptiles or the offspring or eggs of any species. Um, I no mention of coral, right? Cnidarians are, are not covered. Uh, right. So, cool. We'll just keep a bunch of coral tanks. The um, thing about it is, as we talked about with the CITES, we already have like multiple layers, right? There's certain countries that just don't allow yeah. um, harvest of marine life. Like, you, you know, you can't really do that in Mexico, which is weird because we get fish from, you know, the Mexican coast. Um, and then they're, you know, it's up to their discretion whether they even permit people. And then it's their other discretion if they issue CITES permits, Right. And then it's just, we already have so many layers of regulation. Um, for sure, for sure, this, this, first of all, this does not shut down the aquarium trade or any pet trade, but it affects all of us, reptiles, birds, exotic pets, insects, and everything about aquariums. But it leaves like an opening for like a really quick, uh, change of the status quo. And so, uh, on the one hand, I really just disappointed with the lack of kind of professional organiz organization of the aquarium hobby overall, especially the saltwater aquarium hobby. After all these years, you know, I feel like, you know, when you when you flip through the pages of old family magazines, um, there was the APPMA um, AMDA, American Marine Life Dealers Association, and another one for pet products, uh, marine aquarium products. And nowadays, like, we don't have anything. You know, we have one little, um, kind of lawyer on, on retainer for the entire aquarium hobby, but they cover the entire pet hobby. Yeah. Pet Industry Joint Advisory Council, PJAC. And it's just not enough. You know, Fiji would never really been shut down if, you know, we need to be swimming upstream. Like there's just, there's this, this conversation goes in every single direction. If we're not 
constantly lobbying to defend our cause and promote our cause of education and conservation and what we really believe, we're just always on the defense. And we shouldn't have to be. This yeah. is true. But there's people who believe that, you know, you should not even have a dog and a cat, like no pets, no animals, right? So I don't know where this amendment came from. We do, we, most people's understanding is to try to um, stop the spread of invasive species. And I find that a little bit rich, you know, after hundreds of years of like cross pollination, you know, so many invasive species in Hawaii, yeah. so many in Florida, across the entire, you know, United States, there's no such thing as a native earthworm in North America. Right. But they've been here for so long that it would just take that for granted. And it's like, you know, horses are, are not native. Right. Um, but there were plenty. No, of no, wild... they were native and then they got hunted to extinction. Well, OK. And yeah, then they came record. back. Yeah. It. <laughs> um, no, I, I agree with you on that. Um, I, I, you know, because Florida, I mean, so. If I'm if I'm being honest, right, or if we're all being honest, has the hobby been responsible for introduced species? Um, yes. Has the reptile trade been responsible? Yes. Um, so as an has outsider, agriculture, yes, been responsible for introduced species. Has like goods all and caps, services yes. imported from China? Um, every summer now, my house is invaded by Joro spiders, which are like, if you know what a golden orb spider is, they're big, kind of freaky looking spiders. They're pretty. But they're sizable that if you're kind of fearful of spiders like my wife is, you know, I ha I kill like 20 every weekend in the summer um, mm. around my house. Right. And they are, came in on goods imported from China. Uh, the um, what are those fly those um, flies up in uh, the northeast? Um, shoot, they have the spots on their wings. They came on a stone shipment. Right. Um, lantern flies. Mm -hmm. um so to oh. your point but but two wrongs don't make a right right like we we played our part right there's oscars in the swamp south of me there's peacock bass there's i mean you, we can debate lionfish if that came from uh ballasts of ships but uh we can't debate the fact that there's uh red sea and indo-pacific tangs like swimming around in inlets you know in boca raton so we we did play a part in invasive species but I, it doesn't make sense to go on a national level, you know, because who cares if somebody has a red sea purple tang in Michigan, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe you care if it's in Florida or Hawaii. Um, and those states have laws, right? I think Florida passed a legislation that bans lionfish, right? Hawaii, you can't keep a reef tank. How are you going to ban lionfish? After they're now already the most <laughs> common predator on Caribbean reefs. I was it doesn't make any sense. Like these knee-jerk reactions to things yeah. that have already happened. All right. We don't oh want to God, get They're all too over the Bahamas now. It's crazy. But anyway. We, yeah. we don't want to get too much on a soapbox. But sure. like I was saying, you know, the aquarium and marine aquarium hobbies are not that well organized legally. And so on the one hand, I was discouraged by that. But on the other hand, the wording is so open-ended that it affects everything. Right. And I know that the reptile people do, they've have been dealing with this stuff like much longer than we have. 
And so they are really well organized. I'll encourage you to look up a video from US ARC where they really talk about this. And this is not the time to change, to, to like sign an online petition. This is the time to email your senator. So the, the Competes Act has already passed the House, and I think there's going to be like a two-week recess, and then they have to figure out the budget, and then they're going to be looking at this Competes Act. Call your senators and get them to, you know, tell them how you feel about the amendment to the Lacey Act uh, under the Competes Act, right? Don't, 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 you know, be polite. Explain where you're coming from as a hobbyist or a professional. Like if you have a store or you're in the aquarium business, like you should, first of all, be very much really abreast of this. Like you should know what's going on. You should have already called your senators or emailed your senators. And, you know, online petitions aren't going to do anything. This is, this is one of those few times like we all need to um, show up. We got to, we got to, you got to show up for the roll call. You know, we have to um, inundate our respective senators and explain to them why this is actually really bad. And it would cost a ton of jobs if this one uh, amendment, dude, I'm like, I'm in over my head <laughs> on this legal stuff, honestly. No, but this one amendment, if someone just like says, oh, okay, uh, no ornamental marine, dot, dot, dot. And it's just so open-ended, just like this amendment, um, that it could just, you know, I don't think anything's going to be shut down, but it could bring it to a grinding halt for long enough that it will cause severe damage to a lot of people's livelihoods. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, again, I'm not a lawyer either, uh, but I tried to read this and interpret it the best I can. But th there is hope, right? Like the sector interior has less than, if it passes, I'm saying, if, I hope it doesn't, but the Secretary of Interior has to define minimal quantities, right? So if something is imported in minimal quantities, right, then those things could be covered, right? So he might look at uh, beta fish, like freshwater beta fish, right? And say, okay, we're importing those in this amount, huge quantity from Asian millions, fish farms. It's to be millions. Yeah, and we don't see a problem with invasive species with this beta, right? So... Some of these, some some stuff might be grandfathered in, or maybe that's not the right word for it. But, um, but it's just there's too much um, uh, vagueness in it all, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact that you're you're lumping crustaceans and mollusks as fish, you know, mm -hmm. it's it's just weird. It's just really weird. Um, but I, you know, I'm trying to hope that the intent is just trying to. Uh, curb invasive species on some level, not all levels, and hopefully future invasive species. Right? Yes. Like again, I think it's yeah. Lionfish. Who cares at this point? Um, done. Um, and then also, I would hope that there's some revisions, right? Like that they kind of go, "Oh crap!" Like, what do you mean my daughter can't buy a beta fish at Petco? Right? Mm -hmm. Oh shoot. Okay, we're we're starting to see that this thing needs a little more. Uh, uh, more granular, you know, definitions. So let's pay these lawyers some more money, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I don't, yeah. So I, I personally think this isn't the one that's going to get us because mm -hmm. to your point, the reptile industry, the bird industry, I mean, everybody's behind this. So even if we don't have our act together, which we don't as an industry, and I know it's, you know, easy to point fingers and somebody could look as reply back, well, Mark, what have you done? Right. Um, but I, I think there's enough, behind this right but it's also worth say, like taking an attitude of like how can we be better and say look we support regulation that makes sense right 
Um, we want to, we want to do our part, but, uh, this doesn't make sense, right? And let's show you all the cool things we are doing in this hobby with mariculture, aquaculture, um, uh, how exports were managed, you know, by fisheries. Um, but, you, you know, the, the bigger thing is like something is coming at some point, right? I think, I think to your point, uh, death by a thousand paper cuts is, is definitely Absolutely. our future, unfortunately. So I, you know, in closing, uh, we I hope we've alerted you that there's something important looming, and it's just really hard to wrap your head around it. Um, the clearest uh, discussion I've seen on it is on one of my favorite reptile YouTube channels, Dave Kaufman's Reptile Adventures. If you go to YouTube, search uh, Lacey Act Info Panel. Uh, they streamed a panel that's you know about an hour long, um, just really detailing this. And like I said, the reptile people have so much more experience uh, dealing with this. It'll give you a much clearer picture of what's going on and what you need to do. Um, I, you know, I think Coral Magazine and a lot of other outlets have covered it. And to, to, to be fair, like, I'm just so tired of like reporting on this re regulations in the aquarium hobby. I just want a reef, man. I just want to talk about pretty corals and shiny new equipment. Like that's my that's my jam. And show that's off. That's why you know, we really spent forty minutes talking about reef tanks because like we don't want to talk about this. <laughs> Yeah, we are not the source of information for this, right? We did our, our our superficial research, and we know that there's something important, and uh, we have a little bit of time to deal with it. But if I mean, if an overwhelming number of people contact their senators, we might be able to move the needle. And in this case, that's that's all that that's needed. You know, just change the wording. Um, to, to, to really identify maybe what's the invasive species that they're trying to prevent. Uh, meanwhile, um, you know, given us a uh, safe passage for the overall pet trade, not just aquariums, not just saltwater. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think it's important to acknowledge that, you know, I'd like to assume everyone who listens to this uh, probably thinks like us and would never dump a bunch of fish in an inlet or a lake. Um, oh, and we one, are one important point. The, the, the wording in the, the amendment to the Lacey Act would prevent you from traveling across straight borders, state borders, right? So don't even think about like new animals being imported. Talk about moving from one state to another and you're not able to bring your fish, coral, tarantula, pet sea otter or whatever you have. Right. So it's like inc incredibly strict. And this is one of those few times I'm like, I really think that falls to the state by state, because like you said, there's there's no environmental harm to having a purple tang in Michigan, you know, or Alaska, for that matter. Like I'm, I want to say Georgia, it's uh, you're not permitted to keep, keep piranha. Right. Um, like I've never seen them in fish stores around here. Uh, I could be wrong about that. And someone could correct. Well, me I'm sure comments. you'll find them at certain shops. Um, but yeah, I could mail order one pretty easy. I think. Um, <laughs> and I remember when I moved, uh, out West, it's like, I saw people with piranha tanks and I was like, Oh, you know, but I was like, well, yeah, if you dump these, I mean, where I live, piranhas could not survive in lakes here. You know, we get mm -hmm. pretty cold in winter, but as a state, right. South Georgia might be a different story. Uh, cause we have a big old swamp down there, but, but yeah, I, I honestly think that makes sense. Right. Um, if I got a killer job offer and moved to Hawaii, you know, I I would move to Hawaii and I'd give up a reef tank, right? I You'd would have a be, fish tank. 
Yeah, I would have a fish-only tank, and I'd be responsible with the fish that I keep and not dump them in the ocean if I'm well, done you with just them. just have Hawaiian endemics. Yeah. <laughs> Which one you're kind of cool right like, now, yeah. I was like, oh, you got a little bit of HLE? We'll, we'll, we'll let you loose and we'll collect some of our own. Yeah. It'd be kind of cool if you could keep some native corals that are, I mean, I know you can keep, uh, which are not corals, but zoanthids, but um, it'd be kind of cool if you could do that. Anyway, that's tangent. But, you know, if Florida got strict, and I don't want to piss off Florida reef keepers, but I'd be like, oh, okay, I kind of get it, uh, you know, that you don't want me to live in Miami and and keep maybe some exotic things that are considered potentially dangerous. Um but even then, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, you think about all the fish farms that are in Florida, right? That oh, yeah. breed tropical fish and oh, yeah. We're, I mean, ORA. And besides the ornamental and hobby aspect of it, there is a lot of careers and a lot of jobs and a lot of incomes tied to this, not even just aquariums, you know? So I'm just going to say it one more time. If you're still listening, <laughs> uh, the Lacey Act info panel on Dave Kaufman's Kaufman's reptile adventures goes just search Lacey Act info panel. And I think that, you know, those guys, they really spell it out for me. And that's kind of like where I got my distillation of what's going on. And if we do see a call to arms in the sense that this hobby, you see maybe certain industry people or, you know, you start to see some positive change in organization around these things, you know, support them. Like, I, I mean, you can sit, I can sit here and say support PJAC, but I just, I'm hoping there's more than that for us to support in the future, right? So, yeah. So, the you know, PJAC has their, their hands full. They're covering the entire pet industry. Right. I am assuming that this is one of their top priorities right now, but it would be really nice if even both aquarium sides of the hobby um, could get together and have their own lobbying group. I feel like that would be really important. And that's not just for think. legislation like this, but also just PR, right? We need mm -hmm. to show all the cool stuff we're doing in this hobby and how much has changed for the better and how much we're aquaculturing and mariculturing today than we were 20 years ago, but I, you could even say five years ago, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, or adding to science, you know, I, yeah. I'm always looking at Google Scholar and new species description. I mean, they're describing all kinds of cool stuff uh, from aquariums in Europe, Asia and America, you know, so we're contributing to science and, and improving society and our human, the knowledge of humankind. And that's, that's my speech. <laughs> and that's why you should also know your coral names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your real core names. Yeah, because if you show up and it's like, "Hey, man, don't be touching my purple monster or my uh, big R or Walt Disney tenuous," it'd be like, "What are you talking about, bro?" Walt yeah. Disney is down the road. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. I know this wasn't our like our smoothest um, discussion of something, but it's just it's it's really important. Um, we need to educate ourselves. And to be honest, man, even if we dodge this bullet. We didn't dodge the Hawaii bullet, right? Hawaii, Hawaii shut down, Fiji shut down. Um, but we just don't want that to happen internally. And we need to get ourselves a sharp stick for the entire hobby um, that is going to increase our, our positive uh, public relations. Absolutely. Yep. Well, we did some housekeeping. We talked about reef for a good while. This was a good session. I'm sorry to hear about some of your challenges with your reef oh, deck, all, but I hope yeah. you get over the hump and you enjoy some of the um, the newer amenities of your current new new tank because <laughs> your other tank is only like a few months old, right? Yeah. Yeah, which I should have just kept that old tank. I was like, ah, I don't want two tanks. 
And then, you know, a year later, <laughs> I buy another tank to replace the tank I sold. And <sighs> Well, I, I hope you really enjoy that clarity. I think, uh, you know, automatic filter rolls are just kind of a no-brainer in the future in terms of keeping our tanks clean. And uh, I hope, uh, you know, maybe a couple months down the road, you're like, I really want one for my big tank. Yeah, that would suck, though, because I don't even know how I would install one on that thing. Uh, we'll figure it out. Well, yep. thanks to everybody for joining us. Um, if you're any state or within Colorado, any state near Colorado, um, make sure to go to reefstock.show for our upcoming event in a couple of weeks on March 5th and 6th. Um, it's going to be a really great time. Raffle prizes, Coral Market, um, some awesome speakers. And most of all, it'll just be really great to get together and talk reef the way Mark and I do um, on the Reef Therapy Podcast. So thanks a lot for joining us. And uh, we'll catch you guys in another session very soon. Thank you. Yeah. See you next time.